Hey everybody, this is Richard jumping in real quick to let you know that we had some technical issues recording this last podcast. So if you hear any buzzing or fuzziness in the audio, that's just the way it was recorded and I do apologize. Aside from that, I had a blast talking with Jimmy, so please enjoy. Hey everybody, welcome to Media Review Pod, a variety podcast of discussions, opinions, and interviews focusing on the entertainment side of media. My name is Richard Santiago, and as always, you can tweet us using the Twitter handle at MediaReviewPod and the hashtag MediaReviewPod. You can also send us an email at MediaReviewPod at gmail.com with any questions, comments, or suggestions. Or you can just leave a voicemail by calling 407-603-5847. You know what, guys? Sometimes you meet someone for what is technically like the first time, right? And after a few minutes, you feel like you've been pals all along. Well, that's precisely how I felt after finally being on a one-on-one with our guest today. Please welcome cinematographer and fellow USC alumnus, Jimmy Jung Lu. Welcome to the pod. (laughs) Thanks, man. Thanks for being here. I like that intro. That's great. (laughs) So Jimmy and I just happened to have the good fortune. Just just letting you know, this is really fun for me. All right. Well, that's good. That's good. And we're like, what, two minutes in or something? Right. Yeah, 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 I think so. More or less. Okay. Um, So I, I, Jimmy and I um, just happened to have the good fortune of knowing a bunch of common acquaintances. And we were friends on Facebook for a very long time, but we never actually had a one-on-one, right? I think so, yeah. So, We've probably seen each other on set a few times. Right, uh, yeah. And, uh, yeah, and but, uh, you know, this is one of the first times that we, like, you know, talk, talk, which is awesome, actually. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, you know what? You're the fourth cinematographer I have on the show. Oh, really? So I had, I had Leonora. You know Leonora? I I I I know her. Yeah. Okay. I, I don't think I've, I've uh, in, in school we talked that so, much. So I had Leonora. I had Braden. Braden and Andrew Jerick. Jerick. Yeah. I love that guy. Yeah. You know him personally. He was he in your semester. Yeah. When we yeah. were in school. Yeah. Oh, okay. Cool. That's yeah. Cool. Jerick. Jerick uh, is a good pal. Jerick's awesome. Yeah. He's awesome. And now you. You're the fourth one. So <laughs> I don't know, man. I. Uh, you like cinematographers? Yeah, I, like, I like. I like cinematographers. Yeah. <laughs> so so today I, I brought Jimmy here to help me talk a bit about the movie Mank and its quasi-inspiration, Citizen Kane. And we also have some other things that uh, we've seen and we want to talk about from the last few days, but we'll save that for later. And, and before we start going down the booze-filled black and white rabbit hole that is Mank, how about I ask you, Jimmy, some questions to get to know you a little bit more? Okay. All right. Cool. So go ahead. Let's start with the obvious. Where were you born and raised? Uh, I was actually born in Santa Ana, uh, California, which right. is uh, south of LA, about forty-five minutes or so, maybe fifty minutes. Um, the uh, funny thing is that during, I think it was around World War II. My grandparents, my my whole lineage is actually in China, like southern China, and uh, World War II kind of made them flee, and they went to Vietnam. Okay. Right. And they fled to Vietnam and then Vietnam War happened and my parents were born. So my parents were born and raised in Vietnam. Vietnam War happened 
and then my parents fled to the states. So I'm kind of a, I don't know what, how do you call that? Like a second, second degree refugee or something like that. I don't yeah. really know what to, you know, something like that. And then, um, and the funny, the funny thing is, is my parents never really went back to China. Like they don't know we're like Chinese were cultured in China from in, we're cultured Chinese. Mm-hmm. Uh, but my parents uh, never really been back to China oh, or wow. been in China before. And so it's funny because I, I started working there in around 2013, 2012. And it, it, it was kind of a big round trip for my whole, you know, the three or four generations yeah. that kind of did this. And it was, a, it, was, it was a trip. It was a trip because in a weird way, I was the first kind of in my family to be back in where we we grew up genetically, I guess you would say. Right. right? Yeah. Do, do you have any siblings? Uh, yeah, I have an older brother and an older sister. The, the, have they gone and back? So the funny thing, say again. Have they gone back? They they've gone back to visit, but not really to uh, not really to like live or like understand exactly, you know, because when you live there, it's like a different thing than visiting. Right. Right. Yeah. So as far as education goes, you did your your high school and your and your undergrad in California. Uh, yeah, pretty much all my school in North Carolina. I went to, uh, I did my high school around my hometown. Okay. And uh, and then I went to UCLA to study design and media art. Okay, um, nice. So I have like a kind of a 3D, um, you know, like, a, you know, like the whole graphic design background. Yeah. But I focused a lot on motion and kind of more storytelling aspects. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, um, and then the last three classes of, of, of my design degree were like video design for video, which were basically short film class, which was kind of cool. And the funny thing, the funny thing is my teacher, one of the first pamphlets he sent out was a little section of Bruce Block's book. And I oh, didn't really? know it. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. And so I was like, wow, this is a great, like this is a little great document, right? And so I kind of remember that document. I never I didn't know where it came from. I just knew that, that I had that document. And then, you know, years later we're all in SC and then Bruce Block is like teaching the class that you know, yeah, so it's, a, it's a little bit of an interesting thing. Yeah. Bruce, so Bruce Block kind of what was awesome. That class was, yeah, yeah. It's it's one of those it classes was... where where once you once you take that class, it just everything is upside down after that. Everything yeah, is just open. It's th- things that you never actually noticed. Then it's so obvious. Every time you look at a, a movie, you start saying, oh, "Okay, that's limited space." You know, all of this just comes <laughs> flooding back into your mind. Um, I, I know what you mean. Yeah, it, it, my experience with Bruce, Bruce Block was um, that, you know, I, from a visual design standpoint, I didn't know that it could be that structured. You know, I almost, I always kind of thought that, and it probably still is, but I always kind of thought that you know the visual design of a movie um, was was kind of like, you know, what you thought up. It's like, if you think of something original, whatever, and then you can just kind of do it and it becomes an internalized thing. Bruce Block, I think, was one of the first books, like actual cinema, cinema, like cinema books I read from a technique standpoint mm-hmm. that kind of structured the whole way of designing a film visually. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Which actually inspired me a lot in, in, in terms of um, kind of having, designing, like integrating his method with something that, a method that I kind of use on my own in order to, whenever I shoot something, um, you know, like there's, there's a kind of a, a method there, I guess. I don't know how to explain it really, but we can talk about that later. So. All right. And then 
you started working or did you go straight to UC to USC? Uh, in between UCLA and um, actually, that's the first time I went to China right after school. Okay. I went to China for the first time in my life. And, uh, and then I came back right when I came back, my friends, a couple of my friends um, were like, hey, Jimmy, you know how to cook, right? You, you want to open a restaurant? And I'm like, what? <laughs> right? I'm like, what are you talking about? And they're like, yeah, like, you know, crawfish is really hot right now. And, you know, at the time, uh, crawfish was in California, um, was there's yeah. only one, one, one restaurant, two restaurants in all of California that actually sold it. Now it's a big thing. And so, you know, it was packed all the time. And they were like, well, we should open one, you know? And then I'm like, dude, I, I mean, I can cook like steak maybe, you know, <laughs> but I don't know if I can actually design an entire restaurant and, and the, the recipe and all. And so, okay, I felt, you know, I was thinking about it and I'm like, you know, this will be the first, like, if I try this, you know, the, the investment is not too crazy, right? And if I try this, then it will be the first thing that I do, artistic thing that I do that would go public. Okay. You know what I mean? And that was a very enticing because you get to kind of, um, it was very intuitive at the time, but now it's more externalized for me. Mm -hmm. But like, how does your technique or skills or whatever, or you as an artist, how does that kind of, how, how do you develop something that would satisfy you? But if, if it tend, if it needs to be a commercial thing, like films are also a commercial thing as, as well as a, a personal thing, right? right? And how well does it do commercially? How do people react to it? And then how do you react to that? And how do you design something whether it's food or whatever mm -hmm. to kind of be able to, you know, walk that line of staying alive. Right. Because apparently keeping a restaurant open past six months is, uh, you know, a failure rate of like a huge failure rate. It's like, I don't know, like, I don't, I can't remember. Someone keeps it. Everyone told me don't do it. Right. It's like, it's a pain. You're going to fail all this kind of stuff. And then, um, I was like, whatever, man, like, you know, like, let's just try it. Like if we don't, if it don't work then whatever. So I remember telling myself, if this place stays open longer than six months, I'm going to apply for film school, right? If it doesn't open for the past six months, I'm not applying for film school. I'm going to, I don't know, do something else, right? Um, it wasn't six months. It ended up being three years working in that wow. place and trying to, and making it work. And um, before I actually applied to film school, but it taught me a lot. It taught, the, mo the biggest thing it taught me, I think, was leadership. I learned a really important lesson there because when i started off you know you're young you open you own a restaurant your ego is like you know sky high and stuff right and then all the you know you, you get crushed right like you get crushed because I, I remember at a certain point uh we made the most money we have ever made on a particular day but i remember sitting on my bed and i'm like why do i feel so terrible like why do i feel so bad you know and i realized that like no one really liked me you know like they tolerated me you know, mm. but no one really liked me because I was a little harsh and I was like a perfectionist. Everything had to be perfect. You know, everything had to be work right. You know, you still can get, I, I realize that, you you know, now, but you can, you can still, you can get quality while not being an asshole. Right. That's, you know, so then, um, so, we, so then I applied to film school and I was actually running the restaurant while I was in film school for the first year. And that was right before the recession. Mm -hmm. Um, and then. I was like, I can't do this. I can't go to film school and run a restaurant. So then I had to sell it. So I sold it. So we all sold it to another guy. It's actually open still. Oh, except yeah. they have another name. We're, they're still using our recipes, which is kind of crazy. Nice. So then I met you guys. 
right? And then we, we're all kind of a, a team now with, you know, as, as, as much as we can. Yeah. So, so what, what was yeah. it about, um, about film school that, that draw your attention? Was this something that you always wanted to do? When people go to film school, they don't realize how important storytelling is, right? <laughs> like, yeah. At least I didn't, right? Uh, you know, you think it's like a, you know, you think it's like a, it's a visual art form where you're, you're almost like painting or drawing or something, and mm -hmm. that's the art, right? But that's not even the half of it, you know what I mean? And so when I was in design and making my movies, you know, I was um, influenced very heavily by, um, like Zhang Yimou, you know, hero, mm -hmm. and uh, and you know, it's like um, and uh, these types of films that he made, but also some other films, I can't remember, uh, like, uh, there's a movie Gattaca, which I really, really liked. Yeah. I like sci-fi, right? That's yeah. kind of why we're probably going to talk about sci-fi later. Right? Yes. Um, but um, <laughs> when, I was, when I was in design school, I really liked, I really liked crafting things. I guess that's why I'm a cinematographer. Mm. Um, in, in Asia, I'm known as a director that DPs his own stuff. That's okay. what, in Asia, that's what they know me for. Here, they know me more as a cinematographer. Mm. But, um, uh, but when I was in design, when I was in design, um, I, I really always really liked composition. I really liked making things feel um, emotive and professional. And you know, it's all. I always felt like whenever I see some some piece of art, some or something, or some digital piece of art or something like that, I feel like, how do I get that? How do I? How do I? How can I personally reach that and make that thing, whatever mm -hmm. it is? You know what I mean? Yeah. And uh, filmmaking, in a way, is one of the most difficult uh, mediums to work in, at least from a visual standpoint, particularly because you're dealing with motion on top of, on top of the, the XYZ and composition. So not only are you trying to kind of compose or I say like, like paint an image, a single image or a photograph or whatever you want to you know, however you want to uh, talk about it, you're also, people are, the things are also dynamic and every single, and everything that moves on screen needs to be in harmony with each other and, and how they move on screen, how much depth you have. And there's so many factors um, in that, that it becomes extremely complicated, I guess. And so it makes it very hard to do, which, which I kind of like, right? I almost always felt like if I can, if I can create like a cinematic shot that, that, when people watch in theaters, they're not going to question, like, who's this amateur that shot this and who, who gave him that job, right? <laughs> right? It's like it's like they accept that someone from Hollywood shot it's a movie. this thing, right? Like a movie. It feels yeah. like a movie, and uh, you know that's always been kind of a, a a thing that, at least from a technical standpoint, um, thing I've been trying to achieve, and uh, and so it's always been driving me. Is there a particular yeah. film that you kind of credit for? inspiring jumping me into film yeah yeah i would say you know like um hero by Zhang Yimou. you know that chinese it's yeah. a chinese film yep it's like his biggest epic kind of thing during that time during that era um just from a visual standpoint i'm not talking about the story at mm -hmm. all but just from a visual standpoint when i saw what film like what visual poetry you can create with film yeah right like that that scene where um Zhang Ziyi dies Right, and I don't want to spoil it for anybody, but she died. She dies. I'm sorry, guys. And, <laughs> um, and 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 then like and then um and then uh and then the uh the female character um Maggie Chung, she's like in front of a tree, and that tree turns from yellow, yellow. to red, yep. and it's like it's like when I saw that, I was like, 
wait, what? Like, what What just happened? Like, you know what I mean? Like, it made no sense. But then when you think about the movie, it's like every it's everyone's psychological retelling. It's basically right, it's Rashomon, like a Rashomon, right? yeah. So, it's a, so you can almost do anything when it comes to the way that someone perceives something in a movie. Mm-hmm. So these are all these layers and, and layers. And, then, and, and so when I saw that, I was like, wow you know and then i looked him up and apparently he was a cinematographer with before he was a director right now i was like that makes so much sense now right and so um um and so when i saw that movie i was just i was i was just so taken so then i saw his other movie i looked through his catalog and i saw his other movie which was called the road home um with also john Yi. and that's the first movie i ever cried in my life I'm not even joking. I never cried in a movie in my whole life up to that point. I was probably like in my early 20s, maybe, mm-hmm. you know, and it was the first movie. And then, so I was like, okay, there's something going on here, right? There's something affecting me very, very personally, right? And I don't know exactly what it is yet, but it's worth it to explore. So, and it was around that time I had the restaurant, actually, when I was deciding on what I wanted to do next in a way and um, whether or not even film was the thing. And so then, you know, I remember. I remember thinking like, okay, let's say, let's say I go into film, and I do okay. You know, or I go into film and it, I do well. I do on film and I completely fail. Right? It's like, you know, at least I'm shooting really high. Right? Film is not easy. Yeah. I already kind of knew that. You know, and so, um, and it's so always like, you know what? Let's just try it. Let's just apply to like, you know, USC and NYU. If they don't want me, then man, I'll go do something else. Right? And yeah. so then, you know, yeah. So somehow it worked out yeah all right yeah and then at, at usc you um you you were part of a short film called fig from oh yes 2011 that was a fun that was a fun one and and <laughs> it was uh directed by ryan coogler mm-hmm. yeah. and that's where you met Braden, right yes yeah so um so I remember exactly the moment who called me. I was in my garage, literally just like cleaning stuff up. And then he calls me up and he's like, Jimmy, did you, you know, like, like, have, has anybody called you about 546 yet? 546 is our, um, like final project, I guess. Mm-hmm. Is that what you would call it? Yeah, final the, project, the advanced, like three of them. Advanced production class. Yeah. Kind of. Yeah. And then I was like, no, he's like, you want, you want to, you know, be, be the TP. And I'm like, hell yeah. You know, because, you know, at the time, like Ryan Coogler, there's something, there's always something special about him. I think everybody kind of knew that. Um, and, uh, and his films were phenomenal, right? Just like, just from a storytelling aspect, his films were phenomenal. Mm. And, um, and, and all the other aspects were great as well, but he's like a really strong storyteller. And so, um, so he, then he asked me like, oh, so who, who do you want to code DP? Because we had a requirement, we had to DP with someone else. And I remember thinking, well, let's look through some reels because a bunch of people submitted reels just in general to all everyone. And everybody kind of, I think it was like a pool of reels. Mm-hmm. So we looked through it. And I remember seeing Braden's reel. And from a technical standpoint, it was, it was good, right? But from the way that he used camera to emote what he was trying to say in the film itself, you could feel it through the screen, right? And and Coop did too. I, I remember at the time, um, I, I always felt that um, 
my technical ability was a lot better than my, I guess, for lack of a better term, emotional ability to exude emotion out of a shot. And I knew that Coog was that type of director, right? He's not, a, he's not at the time, he was not necessarily a technical director. He was more like an actor's director and a storytelling, like a very, very strong storytelling. From a visual aspect, he, he had a lot of really great ideas, but he didn't, he didn't really emphasize it in his own thing. And, and, I, I, and I think that that's maybe why him and I worked together well at the time, right? And, mm-hmm. um, and, and so I felt like if we're going to co-DP, the other DP um, should be compliment, like complimentary in a way, right? And so, um, and so that's, that's why you know, we, we chose Brad. And- that particular experience with Fig, mm-hmm. what, was that something that kind of formed the way you approached film after you graduated film school? Because this film won several awards and it, you know, HBO took notice. Yeah. <laughs> so it was a big thing. So um, after, after this whole thing, after USC, was this something that you, you, uh, you used as, a, as an experience? At least, you know, a lot of your jobs come from the people you know from school or whatever, right? And mm-hmm. so after that, you know, I did a lot of thesis films because of that. And, um, and then working with Brad and on that as well, you know, we ended up um, making uh, What Lies Below, I guess we'll talk about it later. Um, but, you know, you're, you're, you, you get a certain amount of notoriety, I guess, for making a film that has some kind of accolade or like some kind of interest from parties outside your own circle in a way. Right. Right. Um, that film. The funny thing is that, you know, in general, short films get noticed, but but it's like they're getting noticed less and less. You know what I mean? Like short films were getting less and less important in the overall Hollywood world. And so um, from the standpoint of career, it helped me a lot with my inner circle of friends who knew it, but not a lot of people kind of knew it outside of that. So I would say mm-hmm. that. And at the, at the same time, you know, if you watch the movie again, um, it still kind of feels a little bit student filmy, a little bit, you know, the way it's shot and stuff like that. And so I think that that's so people see it. And, um, you know, it, it, you know, if it, it, it was someone that wanted to hire you for like a big feature film, like that probably wouldn't be the best um, example, I guess. But, you know, we were mm-hmm. just starting off, so we, we only knew what we knew when we were shooting it. Right. I mean, it's, it's, I don't think it looks terrible, but at the same time, it's not, like, at the level where y- you would, you know, you would get suggested for, like, you know, a bigger budget, like a huge budget movie or whatever like that. You know what I mean? But it did mm-hmm. help. And, and I think, to be honest, the biggest thing that helped me, um, from, from, a, from both a directorial standpoint and the cinematographer standpoint, cinematographer standpoint, was actually seeing the way that Ryan, like, that Coog, um, uh, worked with his actors and um and selected a lot of his shots based on emotion and uh, and that's something that you know i like i mentioned earlier that's kind of why we brought Braden in you know mm-hmm. and yeah and so and Braden understood really well if you watch what lies below a lot of the best moments of the film in terms of the cinematography of the way that the blocking works is actually a his huge suggestion of the way he wanted it to work and when he told me, I was like, dude, that's a fucking great idea, right? We should do that. And we should pull it off, you know, this way. And then we got to get a big room in order to do that. And, you know, all this stuff so that I can try to get the technical stuff to make it all work out, but also to get the emotion and the lighting and all that stuff to, to feel right in the whole situation, 
right? Mm-hmm. But you know, um, but I have to give credit Brandon a lot of credit for a lot of that stuff because you know he's a really good director, you know, and and uh, and it shows, you know, and so um, uh, I I too I I really feel that he at, at least in what lies below he didn't hit his full potential, you know. We we there was a lot of you know it's an indie film, right? You have a lot of problems, so. Um, so she wasn't even able. So, to by the way, but for 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 people who don't know, what lies below is uh, Bratton Doomler's feature film, his first feature film. Uh, by the way, he was he was on the podcast. So if oh yeah, if you're a regular listener, you 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 already listened to uh, his story of what lies below. Um, so so Jimmy Jimmy is basically getting into the nitty gritty of it. So I just wanted to let you guys know that that's what he's talking about, and you can also watch that film on Netflix right now. So we, we've already talked about what lies below. I j- I'm, I'm just curious to know from your perspective, which was your most difficult scene? The one that you had so much trouble cracking that you, you had no idea how to do it. I would say it was the underwater light scene where he walks into the water and we're doing all that night stuff. And then we, we crash the car into the water. Um, yeah. From a sheer scale size, right? That's one of the bigger things that, that happened in that movie. And I remember trying to work it all out um, because we had to get like a, a cherry picker and put a light, a giant light on top of it and put it in the background and try, try to get it into the scene but not, not have it seen in the scene. It's a pretty normal thing when you're shooting nighttime stuff, but a lot of films don't have the budget for it, but we somehow got it. We almost didn't get that. But it helped mm-hmm. a lot because there's so much nighttime stuff that if you didn't see stuff back there, you're just in this kind of black void, which doesn't really mean anything, right? It's not yep. really scary either, especially with John walking out the woods and all that kind of stuff and seeing the house back there. And and, and so it, it, there's, a, there's an important, uh, I guess, story aspect of why you want to see all that stuff as well. Um, but yeah, I think that that was very challenging because one, you don't have a, a really big crew. Um, it's cold and you're, you're dumping a car in, in the water. And, and so you have to kind of set up and plan for all that. And so, um, um, that, that was a really tricky, that was a really tricky situation. Also the underwater light, like because of a single screw, um, lost us three hours in that same day as well. It was crazy. <laughs> I know. Right. Like a little single screw can just delay everything. So the screw was stripped or something, and they was like they couldn't get this some something on the on the light. I can't remember it was like the lens or something, and uh, or and so um and so uh, they were fussing with it for like five three hours or something like that. And then I remember I was like, we're oh, gonna man. we're gonna dump a car in the in, in the lake later. <laughs> I have to put up this giant light back there. Not only that, we have the entire like dialogue scene we have to shoot in the same time, and then you know what I mean. And then you're not you're not hundred percent sure like when you're when you're shooting indie films or you don't have any tests or nothing. Right. So you, you yeah. imagine in your head, but you're never <laughs> sure it's going to work. Right. But you have to act like it. Yeah. Act like you, you, you know course, what you're doing. Yeah. But a lot of times it's just like, you know, you got, I have these principles, I'm going to do it. And then if it doesn't work, then I adjust from there and it might cost us another hour, but, but you know, luckily it didn't, luckily it, it worked out really well. But, um, um, but yeah, I think one of the biggest worries a, a lot is, if something goes wrong, whether it's something that you're lighting and doesn't work the way you planned it, or or the actor does something different that you didn't expect, where they're looking all the way over here, but you lit, lit from you know something like that, right? Um, right? I always try to plan at least a contingency for it, 
Um, but this night was so crazy that um, I I didn't know what the I didn't know exactly what the plan B was gonna be if 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 something went wrong, right? Because there's just so many moving parts, you know. Um, and we weren't even sure if the car was gonna dump properly into the into the lake, how far <laughs> it would go, whether it would go all the way into the lake or not even hit the lake. So placing yeah. the camera, anticipating where the car would actually stop in the composition, you know, you just don't know. So I'm like, I'm operating, I'm like, oh, the car's gonna stop, it's not stopping, it's not stopping, you know, like, and it's like, you know, whatever. <laughs> but it's, it was a fun thing, you know, when you do that, it's like, uh, it's so fun because you're dumping a car in the water, which is hilarious. Yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah well, uh, the other thing is night shoots are hard just just for being night shoots i mean everybody is kind of off their clock and if it's cold it gets colder and you need everybody needs a flashlight Mm -hmm. yeah so this film after it debuted on netflix it was number one in the united states for several days right yeah that's that was crazy man i it was a it was a nutty time. It was like two weeks ago. Um, yeah, it was uh, it was trip. It, you know, at first, I remember waking up and I was like, "Oh, um, we're number one." I'm like, "Okay, cool." Like, you know, and and then I realized, like, you know, theaters aren't really open, and this is kind of the platform that everyone is kind of on right now because of yeah. COVID and stuff like that. And so, in a weird way, like this is kind of the prime stage, I guess, that a lot of America is watching. Mm-hmm. and and so it didn't really hit me until i kind of realized that um to be to be honest though i still don't even know how big it sh- it is or should be like i don't really know how to feel about it right like i don't want to f- feel like oh it's gigantic and then i find out later it's like oh it's not that big of a deal right but i'd also don't want to like myself and say you know it's not that big of a deal but it was a big deal but i don't actually know exactly. well, well i i wouldn't say it's not that big of a deal because everybody saw everybody in the united states who has netflix saw that the movie was number one in the united states so it, it's gotta mean something it, it, of course it, yeah, you, yeah. you 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 have netflix which is kind of cagey with their numbers so you don't really you don't really know what's going on there. But. I know exactly, right? You don't even you don't know what what the situation. I think it's really funny how like you know all my friends basically have theories on why it went number one or why people are watching it at first, like what drew them in, you know. And yeah. uh, we all think it's like um, John Smith, you know, like um, heavenly body is what. Oh, for sure, you know, right? <laughs> yeah, that guy is a I, that actor is yeah. one of the funniest guys ever he's, he's insane sometimes so jimmy what do you have coming up film related do you have is, is there a film that, that you want to tease us with uh yeah actually um uh abel and burley vang um from our semester actually uh from my semester with coop we're all kind of in the same semester um mm-hmm. from school i didn't keep in contact with them and we made a movie a while back called the devil uh, in like 2016, and then this is our second movie uh, called "They Live in the Gray," which uh, we're kind of marketing. As, I mean, it, it it hasn't come out yet, but we're kind of marketing as like the first Asian American horror film, right? And with okay. like, you know Asian American nice. cast, with Asian American directors, Asian American D- D- DP, things like that, you know. And um, but you know, it's it's kind of a story um, of um, of 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 a, of a mom who lost her child. And um, is trying to kind of um, get over that grief, and at the same time, she kind of um, sees 
entities and needs to deal with that at the same time. Um, and that's basically really all I can say. I'm not the best pitcher. I'm sorry, Abel and Burley, but that's all I got mm-hmm. about that. Um, okay. But, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm really happy with the film. I'm really, really happy the way we, we crafted the film. Um, and it's going to be something different, I think. It's going to be pretty cool. And that's coming out this year? Yeah, it should be coming out this year, um, later this okay. year. So I think they're finding a distributor right now. And um, okay. yeah, let's see what happens with it. And then uh, there's another movie, Succubus, um, which uh, I think Anna Liz James, uh, it was on your podcast, right? She's on. Yeah. 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 She, she was. Pro- she was the first one. Wow. Let me tell you that. So, so she was the first one. She, <laughs> she's producing it. Uh, Daniel Hanna, who edited What Lies Below, Daniel's movie, uh, I mean, uh, Brad's movie. Um, Daniel Hanna, he's directing it. He wrote and directed it. And crazy thing is right before the Netflix thing happened, the Netflix thing happened with Brandon's movie, Brandon signed on to um, Daniel's movie as a producer. And actually, Daniel asked me to jump on that movie before the whole Netflix thing happened, right? So now we're all like, and then it happens. And then now we're all in a team where, you know, Anna won, Anna got the, the number one Netflix thing. Braden got the number one Netflix thing. And then Daniel and I are part of the number one. So we have like a number one Netflix team. Yeah. If that You're means anything, I still don't team. know how much that I like means it. still. You know, I like but, it. I but, like but it. It's, but it's definitely, I mean, everyone on that team is very, very strong, right? In, 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 in what they do. And they're also very cross-disciplinary, right? So, so mm-hmm. that helps a lot. I really, really, truly believe in cross-discipline filmmaking. Um, and I think it's not... Um, you know, it, it's. I just feel like a lot of times when you're shooting, it's a little bit too compartmentalized. Um, mm-hmm. But you know, it, it may, sometimes you just got to get the work done. So and don't worry about it. So yeah, yeah, that's the right, next. So thing. Anna's Anna's movie is uh, Deadly Illusions. Yeah, and it was also uh, number one on Netflix. It's still on Netflix, so you can catch that in Netflix. Um, so t- tell me, tell me just a bit about Succubus, if if you know anything. Um, I don't know how much I can say, honestly. Uh, well, do you know? Uh, do you have any idea when you start production? Uh, we're starting. Pro- we should be starting production this summer. But I, to be honest, I don't know how much I should say, so I probably shouldn't say that much. Okay. Um, All right. Cool. Don't want to get in trouble later or anything like that. It's it's with them. It's fine. But, I get. Um, it. Well, tell tell you what, I'll 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 have you guys back. Maybe dude, that would be fun. I, dude, you can see you can see us yelling. You can see me, Brand yelling at each other, and then me and Daniel getting. <laughs> well, I I also hear rumors of a book. You have a book, dude. This book, man. Tell me about your book. It never stops. This book, it never like it, it can never finish this thing. Uh, so basically, the book. The best way I can describe it is it's it's a book I kind of always wanted to have when I was in film school and I was going through the early stages of being a DP and a director. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I remember, I you know, I, I when I was writing the book, it, it it kind of started off as kind of a list of stuff that I would try to remember. When, when I'm shooting a movie, things I would remember to put in or remember to use or techniques as a DP, I would try to use in the process of shooting a film. And that, that list started growing, like, you know, from like, you know, you know, 15, 20 to like 200 ish things, or just a list of stuff that is like, you know, at the time, the best way I can describe it is like, these are just cinematic techniques. Right. Mm. Techniques that when you use it, people kind of see them as uh, as a cinematic. Uh, um, they see it as a kind of a, a, a um, in a cinematic way. It's not like a photographic. It's not like 
something you see on Instagram, something you see in a movie, right? And so this, this, uh, and then what happens over time, I was like, I have to organize this thing because it's getting all out of hand. Like I can't, because some of it, it fits, but some of it didn't fit within this list. And so I figured I'd try yeah. to, I tried to organize it. And then eventually this became like a tome. And then eventually I was like, you know what? I, I, I should write this thing. I should write this as a book because I think this might help a lot of people. And it'll help me too, because the way I'm writing is kind of like a reference book for myself. Right. So, um, yep. so basically it's, it's kind of a book, the best way I can describe it, it's like, um, like a, a book to describes why movies look like movies and I guess how you can make your movie look like a movie. So I think it'll, it'll help a lot of people at least get a foothold of from a technique and building block standpoint, why, wh- why the, uh, why, why, why those things are on screen, what they're seeing. Cause a lot of things you don't notice, you know, you wa- you watch a movie and, Oh, I never noticed that th- that's an actual technique. I, did, I thought that that was just something that happened that was emergent in the process of making it. No, that's an actual decided thing that you do. And in fact, almost yeah. everything on screen when you're shooting a movie is decided. You know what I mean? Yep. But, you know, the thing is, that funny thing is that in, 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 in early in our careers, you know, I would say like 90% of all the things that are on the screen are not decided. They're accidents that we don't know that that, that it should be decided. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and so, uh, I think that's really important to understand to try to get, I guess, um, people who are starting off in film to know that every, almost every single element within a frame is a decision. And, and whether you, whether you want it, whether you intended it or not, the audience will see it as a decision. So it can, it can hurt or it it can hurt, you know, the, your, the perception of the film. If, is something that you didn't intend to be there and you didn't know, but it actually was something that someone saw negatively or, or whatever it is, you know, mm. visually, visualize, you know? Yeah. All right. Well, how about we move on to talk about a movie about another movie that's definitely looking like a movie. Let's talk <laughs> about our two feature films. Let's move on to our feature segment, starting with Citizen Kane. Yes. Citizen Kane. All right, so Citizen Kane, which, by the way, we're going to spoil Citizen Kane. So if you haven't seen Citizen Kane from 1941, uh, yeah, spoilers coming up. Here's a brief um, refresher if, if any of you haven't seen the movie and you don't mind any spoilers. So first off, it's considered by some to be one of the best if not the best film ever made. Um, it was made in 1941 by the so-called boy genius, right? Orson Welles, who at the tender age of 24 was handed a once-in-a-lifetime deal at RKO Pictures. And this deal basically allowed him to write, direct, produce, and basically star in whatever film he wanted. And at that time, Orson Welles was known for his Mercury Theater troupe. Um, But what really made him stand out in those days was his recording of uh, a dramatization of the book The War of the Worlds. And after that, he, like I said, was known as the boy genius. When Citizen Kane came out, it was disregarded panned by many and um that's crazy isn't it 
I, I think that's yeah, insane, and, right? Like how that happened is, that way. This and the whole thing was influenced by William Randolph first, who many thought, and rightfully so, by the way, that the movie's main character was based mm-hmm. or modeled after yeah. him. Uh-huh. Uh, so, so Hearst was a media mogul at that time, and he controlled much of the public perception of the world. So he tried his damnedest to sink the film. He even offered to to buy the negative and burn it so that nobody could see the film. Um, And thankfully, that didn't happen. But what did happen was that the film was already tarnished even before it came out. And and many believe that the outcome of all of this haunted Orson Welles until the end of his days, I would say. Now, today, like I said, the film is regarded as one of the best. And, you know, I'm not just saying that because others say it. There are legitimate reasons for it. Uh, I, I know people who, who don't like this film and, you know, that's cool. That's, it's fine. It's, it's not for everyone. And it's, it's also in black and white, so it, it can sometimes turn people off. Um, but, you know, they also say that the MacGuffin is stupid and it takes too long and, you know, whatever. So, so let me highlight some of the reasons why this movie is at the top through all these years. So the narrative. Let's begin there. You know, it, it, it was one of the first movies that had a nonlinear plot, right? It was using flashbacks as a storytelling device uh, to flesh out these characters. Um, the cinematography, it had deep focus. Uh, the camera work was also very revolutionary. Greg Tolan was a DP here, and he used lenses that were basically able to capture the foreground and the background. And everything in between. It was it's it's spectacular. Once you see it, you there's there there are several scenes where you have two two characters in the foreground, and one of them just moves back all the way into the background, and he's still in sharp focus while you see everything around him. It's it's incredible the way they do. Yeah, it's it's uh from a cinematography perspective, it's very very difficult to 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 compose something that. That's everything where everything is extremely sharp, especially when you're dealing with a wide shot like that and um or like a wide angle lens and you have people in the close up mm-hmm. feel the background. At least for me, it's really hard. <laughs> right? And so But for you know, Academy Award winning Greg Tolan, it was a piece of cake. <laughs> well, they, you know, I'm sure that they worked with the um the because uh, a lot of they're they're shooting on a lot of sets, I'd imagine. Um and so yeah. you got to design um the composition before you, you, the camera's composition went up in a way. You know what I mean? And that helps a lot. Like, like, and it's very rare you ever get to do that as a DP um, uh, in a low, lower budget film. And so, mm-hmm. you know, and so you have to rely on, say, um, you know, shallow depth of field or something like that in order to kind of hide all the ugly stuff in the back, right? But when you have, you know, that, you know, when you have, you know, incredible people all working together and an incredible vision, um, and building all the sets out, or at least being able to have access to sets that um, you know that that look already look great and have a great composition on it, and then then you put these characters in, it's like it's magic. It's, yeah, it's really hard to do. Um, Not only that, he 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 used the camera in in ways that nobody else was using it. That, I, uh, I I I just when I saw it the second time, I saw it. I, I think it was the third or fourth time I saw it, but I was being very specific in terms of watching it this time. 
And I'm like, oh crap, man, this this was made when? Like he's using a lot of techniques that um I don't know. It's almost as if it got forgotten and it kind of re- re- like came about you, people using it again in the modern cinema, cinematic mode, uh, cinematic mm-hmm. world. Uh, and so when I saw it, I was like, there's a lot of technique here, like really fucking cool. Um, yeah. uh, and a lot of like, yeah, like I was very impressed um, again. Right. So. So he puts he puts the camera either on a high angle to minimize some characters on low angles to make others really stand out. <laughs> Sometimes to even capture Kane's uh, descent into madness. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the other thing that was interesting uh, about this movie is the editing. Because again, it's, it's using a non-linear plot. Mm-hmm. So the, edi- the editing basically accentuates this as the story progresses. Mm-hmm. You know, as well as it incorporates these transitions that were hardly ever used back then. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So it 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 feels it feels normal now when you see it like any other film that you see but back then to see these crazy transitions and this this nonlinear plot line it was almost revolutionary at the time um and then there's, there's the makeup as well where the, the makeup surprised me it All really of the actors, yeah, it surprised me a lot. Up. I was like, "Wow, this is this makeup is really good." You know, yeah. the craziest thing, the craziest thing is that the first two times I ever saw the movie in film school, I did not know that the director was Kane. I really? just assumed that he was some other. Like, I just thought that okay, you know, this guy's a genius director, you know, and he's you know he's crafting this movie from from behind the camera, right? But then, like, you know, I, I can't remember when I figured it out, but I was like, wait, wait, what? Wait, what? He's the <laughs> actor, too? And he's 24? What am I doing with my life? <laughs> you know what I mean? He's one of those guys that makes you feel bad for being alive. Yeah, you know, yeah. Um... <laughs> well, the, the makeup is, is fantastic yeah. because it, th- these these guys... They they acted as the age that they were, and then throughout the film, you see them be older or be kind of middle aged, and everything is done through through makeup and and whatever they're wearing, and it's just incredible, incredible for for for, for the time that it was made. It looks great. Yeah, it does. It really. I was. Um, I remember noting specifically when he's like towards the end of the film when when Susan leaves him, he's like he's like trashing hit you know the room, you know what I yeah, mean? Yeah. And yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. As I get older, my body feels stiffer, right? So I move. Yeah. And I remember thinking like, am I am I starting to walk like an old man? Like <laughs> it's like my biggest fear. You know what I mean? Um, I, I'm gonna work through this. Uh, psychologically at one point but um but like it's like I, when i'm walking i feel like i'm stiffer and i feel like you know and and so you you kind of get an idea of what it feels like to walk like an old man i guess when you're paying attention to it and i remember seeing that scene just just yet two two or three days ago when he's thrashing all that stuff you know it's a 24 year old guy like 65 and i remember the way he's like carrying himself and killing like destroying everything i was like that's exactly mm-hmm. like how i would do it with my body now 
You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, because he doesn't have he doesn't have it looks like he doesn't have the coordination that he had as a kid. Because we even see him dancing when he's young, right? And then in that scene when he's older, he, he kind of stumbles and it's like you said, he's stiff. He's, he's, he's yeah. so yeah, he's so convincing at that age. And so what's what, what's yeah. even weirder is because I didn't really recognize him, you know, even back then, I, I didn't recognize him as the actor that that that's a twenty four year old. In a weird way, I I remember at, at earlier on, I actually thought it was two different actors that looked similar. <laughs> now, I'm not even joking, nice. right? So it's a younger version. You know how they do that, and then they got an older yeah, version. Yeah, yeah, they, yeah. They, they age them or whatever. So I actually thought there were two people way back. And then I kind of, this time when I watched it, I watched it kind of as fresh as possible. as if Because, you know, a movie like this made this, this long ago, um, in a weird way, like you wouldn't make a movie like this anymore, right? There's a lot of techniques New, new new technology that you wouldn't make a movie that looked like this unless you were trying to call that age back, which we're going to talk about mm-hmm. Mank. Um, but right. but uh, um, you know, at the time it was just it was, it was really pretty revolutionary. I think. Yeah. The the other thing is the visual effects. I don't know if you noticed, but there are matte paintings galore in this movie. And the, I, the, 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 I, were they matte paintings really? Yeah, I, I, I yeah, imagine they, they probably were. Oh yeah, the the opening sequences, weren't they matte painting? Yeah, the Dracula's yeah, castle yeah. kind of thing. You know that that opening. Yeah, they use set extensions. Um, they they use it all the time, all the time. They use matte paintings, and it's all over the 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 movie it, for for Xanadu, which is Kane's castle. They 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 use it for everything. Wow. So after after all this this forward on Citizen Kane, Jimmy. What is your relationship to this movie, if if any at all? You know, funny thing is that uh, when I, when I was introduced to this movie in school, um, you you already have what not twenty some years of modern filmmaking. You know what I mean? So at first, I think that the tendency is if no one told you how revolutionary it was for its time, you would probably you know like I, at least me, I would I thought that it was a good movie but it was dated right because it feels from a like i always think like if this movie got released now in the exact state how would how would audiences see that right and mm-hmm. and because audiences seen things stolen from that movie but don't know it's stolen then it's hard mm-hmm. to appreciate until you really understand how revolutionary it was so in a weird way like that's always my relationship with older movies in general classics where it's like how do I see this in a fresh light, but not? So when so my relationship with it is that um, at first I didn't appreciate it, but after I saw it and I I, I saw it for time, I'm like, this is some this is some auteur shit. Like this is some stuff that you know people would totally rip off. In a weird way, it's it's seen as number one movie because in in a lot of ways, um, it it's it copied so much in in terms of its style and things like that. Like it's very rare to see cameras like literally on the floor and you mm-hmm. know attached to a ceiling it, it, it's rare to see that in in movies um even after that time and so um and the storytelling aspect of it non-linear aspect so yeah how about you well for me all right so so here, here's here's the story when i started college my very first communications class and this this is undergrad in this class they gave me this assignment I had to seek out this movie, Citizen Kane, and report on it. I couldn't find the film to rent. 
but he like I went did... to like blockbusters. Like, what? you guys have Citizen Kane? Like, what the hell? Is that? <laughs> Basically, <laughs> yes. <laughs> Basically, um, like, but there was this store called he's called not, he's uh, Sun. Today. Anyway. Um... <laughs> There was this store called Suncoast. I don't know if, if uh, you've yes, heard yes, of that. Yes, yes, yes. It's, yeah, I know. What you're and about. they had it to buy. Oh wow! Okay. The v- the VHS. They had okay. the 50th anniversary edition, which cost me like 30 bucks. Damn, bro. And at, at first, I was a little bit skeptical. Um, it's it's supposed to be a masterpiece, but it's in black and white. It's from the 40s. Can it be that good? And after I finished that first viewing, I became completely obsessed. I can't, I can't explain to you how obsessed I was with this movie. Wow. I read everything. I, I, I went to the library. I got all these old books that talked about the movie. I just I couldn't get my hands on enough stuff about this movie. Wow. Okay? Wow. And my report was over 40 pages this, Wait, this is communications like this, this is communications 101 okay <laughs> i mean this is this isn't even uh, uh, amazing, uh, one of these bro. uh super important classes uh-huh. but i was so obsessed with this movie i made i made that report as thorough as i could um and you know i th- i think i was not only enthralled by the movie and the story but it's it's this romanticism with the history of of the movie and 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 the backstory and all the gossip surrounding it. Mm-hmm. It's the mixture of the history plus how good that film came out. Got it. That I just couldn't I couldn't believe it. Do, do you, I mean at the time at the time when you watched it what what do you think kind of stood out for you like what was it that like like hit you like personally? I think me going in. With with that skepticism, and not really expecting much, but then getting a a story that was so well told in a manner that I didn't expect at all, because these are techniques that are being used now. Yeah, exactly. I was I wasn't expecting to have a movie that incorporated flashbacks. From a movie from the 1940s, I just it, it it just wasn't in my radar, and then suddenly I get this movie, and the story is so well told. I think the MacGuffin pays off so well. Um, that after that first viewing, I I I completely understood why it was regarded that way, and it just got even better for me as I read about all this. All this other stuff that I talked about before we started mm, talking about mm, yeah. Susan Kane, all the technical stuff. I wanted to be a filmmaker and learning about all of this backstory, um, how how involved he was with the actors because he came from a theater background. So did I. Right. So that was also. Did you really? I didn't that... know that. Yeah. Oh, that's cool, man. <laughs> so. Just learn learning about the back, learning about Orson Welles as a filmmaker. Not only this film, but other stuff that he made. Um, just made me appreciate this movie a lot more. That's that's freaking crazy. All right, so it's taking us a while to get here, but let's talk about Mank. 
All right. <laughs> this is a long, this is a long form show, right? So people can skip through if they don't want to. Yeah, you know, exactly. Right? Whatever. Yeah. All right. So Mank, which was written by the late Jack Fincher. It was directed by his son, David Fincher. And here's a brief synopsis for Mank. Uh, Hollywood screenwriter Herman J. Mankiewicz is tasked with writing the screenplay of Citizen Kane as he drifts in and out of his memories of his early years in Hollywood thanks to his constant alcohol-induced stupors. What do you think about that? How, 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 how did I do with that uh, brief synopsis? I think that worked. I think that's basically what Accurate? it was. Accurate? <laughs> in, you know, in, a weird, in a weird way, Mank is actually a very, it seems like a very simple story, right? It's a very simply, um, a simple thing. Um, and it's like a very much of a Oldman, it's like a character piece almost. Mm-hmm. If, I, if I even know what I'm talking about when I say that. But it's very character based, right? It's not like yeah. the Fincher like mystery and all this kind of crazy shit that Fincher usually does. Um, yeah. So it's it's interesting. It's interesting to see Fincher do something that's not what he always does. Now, now since this movie is basically based on on real life accounts, we're just gonna forego the usual spoiler section and say that you know we'll be talking full spoilers from here on. Sorry, guys. Okay. All right. With that said, Jimmy, what are your thoughts on Mank? I watched the Citizen Kane right before Mank, right? And I remember seeing the first shot of Mank, <laughs> right? Okay. Like I, because I, yeah. I wanted to see, because I hadn't seen it so long, so I don't know, like I don't know what the hell, like I wouldn't know what the hell they're talking about if I didn't watch it right before. Mm-hmm. And after yeah. watching it, I, I realized I don't think if any, if people didn't watch the film before, they wouldn't know what the hell is going on in this movie. They wouldn't even know who Mank what is at the end of the movie. I think, you know what I mean? I mean, yes. they'll probably get it. I'm just, I'm just being facetious, but no, no, um, no. But, You're uh, completely right. But, but keep going, keep uh, going. But um, I read the ASC article after I, I watched the movie. So I wanted to see what the film, what I thought when I saw it and what the filmmakers, what their intention was. And I remember seeing this film and I was expecting, you know, um, because it's Fincher. And if you see Fincher's earlier work, you know, like, like, like at the beginning of Panic Room, it's like literally a virtual camera flying through a chair, flying mm-hmm. under a chair, flying through a pot handle. That's all the stuff that he did in his music videos and all this stuff back then. You know what I mean? Uh, he doesn't really do that anymore, but I was expecting that he would go back to those roots and 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 shoot Mank as a Citizen Kane kind of love letter from a cinematic standpoint, right? Mm-hmm. You know, but the funny thing is that they went very safe on it, like super, super, super safe to the point where it felt very modern the way that they shot the film. Um, mm-hmm. But then they shot it in black and white. This is my, by the way, this is my initial impression. I have no idea what the fuck they were, uh, they were, the, their intention was, but this is my first impression of the thing. And so, you know, I was like, okay, well, it's going to get, maybe it's going to rev up, you know, and it's going to get like, mm. we're going to see like crazy, you know, um, cinematic angles or whatever or whatnot. Yeah. There were a few, but I feel like when I, at the time, I felt like, wow, they didn't really leverage that. Um, you know, it felt very safe. Um, and the storytelling, and the comedy of everything, you know, Oldman was amazing. All the actors were really amazing. Um, but uh, but it was entertaining if you knew what the hell they're talking about. Because actually, I had yeah. to stop the movie a few times and actually look up who the hell Marion Davis is, what relation <laughs> is to Hearst. You know, I didn't even know that was Hearst to begin with when, when the first time you saw it, because they called him Willie. 
You know what I mean? Yeah. So there's all this like, you know, inside stuff that you're supposed to know. And then like, wait, who's really again? Oh, that's actually her that they're talking about. And I think so. Um, so you yeah. really have to understand the context, I guess, in order to enjoy the movie's intention. Um, from the movie as an entertaining thing, uh, it's entertaining, I would say, uh, if you knew what was going on. Yeah. But, um, you know, I mean, it's not, not a lot I can say about it because it wasn't bad, but it wasn't like the most entertaining thing in the world. You know what I mean? Um, and maybe that's just me being a modern idiot filmmaker who loves, <laughs> who loves you know, I, I, I like Avengers Endgame. I'm not saying that this is, a, I'm just saying that I like those movies too. And so, yeah. um, and so, you know, um, you know, maybe maybe he should have put some fight scenes in a car chase. I'm, just, I'm fucking around. I'm just joking. Right? I'm joking, guys. I'm totally fucking joking. Anyway, uh, well, how about you, man? I remember when we first talked, and 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 I asked you to watch this movie for the podcast, and I I remember you calling it Citizen Kane Two. <laughs> I didn't call it that. Did I call it that? Yeah. And, and granted, wait, why did? <laughs> Neither of us had seen the movie, so oh, oh, we were just see, okay. Okay, got it. Yeah, I we, think that was, yeah. that was a total joke, man. I, I, yeah. I don't. I, if Finch was listening to this, I'm just joking, bro. I'm, I'm <laughs> yeah. joking. Anyway, it's, so so that Citizen Kane two. Okay, so then definitely, definitely was, not <laughs> Citizen Kane two. <laughs> definitely not. You know, in some ways, it is. I guess because you know, like uh, you know, like the the second movie tends to be you know not as good as the first or something you know? look I, I i'm i'm not dismissing this movie full stop because i i do think that it it has commendable things yeah it's but it's it, 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 it's like it's, if you compare it to citizen kane it's gonna lose because you can't you can't it's legendary right, right? but if you if you yeah. see it on its own yeah if you see it on its own it's maybe it's before maybe because i i still don't get why this movie is getting so much buzz i don't i don't, I don't get it um, all right, I want to start with with the good stuff. Okay, so for starters, I think the cinematography is pretty good. Um, it's safe. I would say it's very safe. Um, and it's, it's, you know, it's this, good, but it's I think it's safe. Right, and this is a movie where where the footage was actually degraded. Mm -hmm. Right, it was shot in eight eight K, mm -hmm. and then it was degraded to look like something cool. from back then. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. It was done so well that it just becomes part of the atmosphere that it creates, mm -hmm. and it, it, um, it even had these uh, the the little cigarette burns on the on the on the corner. I don't know if you noticed. Oh, I didn't notice that. Yeah, yeah, oh, it has okay. the you know those Ooh. circles. Yeah, like at, at the twenty minute mark or whatever when they. Put yeah, the yeah, yeah. Um, the day for night shoots look great. Uh, they they they. they oh, you know it. what. I didn't even notice that there was. A, I remember reading it after, but I I haven't pinpointed which which one. They, that's how well they. Which scenes was the was the day for night? Yeah. So when they yeah when they when when he goes when man goes walking out uh, with, with uh, Marion with, Davis uh, with uh, Amanda Amanda Seyfried, right? Yeah. That's yeah. all day for night. So, yep. I gotta see that again. That I I, <laughs> I guess doing it in black and white helps because I always notice it when it's in color because you know it looks weird, right? The color's like way mm -hmm. too blue or something. Pretty incredible, really. Okay, I gotta see it again. Okay. Um, I th I think those those shots 
have a very interesting high contrast aesthetic to them and it it i don't know it lends itself to um to separate it from the rest of the movie because mm -hmm. that's a moment where especially that moment where you kind of see their bond mm -hmm. um it's this it's, it's a different aspect ratio from the movies back then which is so weird because this is a it's a widescreen movie but that, that, that yeah but, and they, they chose like they chose between like you know the typical cinematic wide i think one one yeah. one three five one through five and then it was like one two one or something and i you know what's funny is that i just heard from a friend and i don't know if it's true but like apparently netflix kind of wants their movies to be in that particular format and okay. i don't know if filmmakers have a choice maybe they do i actually don't know but i heard that mm. it's like at least it's encouraged by net to have that aspect ratio which is a very interesting thing where they're choosing aspect ratios if that's the case okay i'm not saying it's the case but it sounds All right. it sounds like it has some well, anyway i i think it's something that um for for regular movie audiences they won't notice it much because yeah. that's the aspect ratio that they're used to mm -hmm. so it's it's fine um i did like the 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 sound mix which even though it was mono was it, it really this... mono yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah it, it, it's it's either it's either mixed in mono or it was recorded in mono it's, it has isn't that, isn't that it, fascinating how how they're 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 trying to be very authentic with the, like very authentic to those those key aspects but then some of the visuals are not as authentic in the way that they frame the way that they use it um, yeah. I remember the, the uh, what's his name, um, uh, Eric uh, Messer, Messerschmitt. I think that's that's the DP's name, Messerschmitt. Um, he's he's talking about how he he was afraid that if he were to go full Citizen Kane in terms of the way they shot it, it would look like a parody. Uh, okay. Right, but I I feel like mm. the fear, the fear maybe overtook the fear of trying to emulate Citizen Kane was too large because you'd be compared to it too much. So yeah. it might be a safer choice to not and just do a movie about just a move like right. But if you're gonna go that direction, then just make it in color, right? Like you know what I mean? And just not get compared at all. You know what I mean? But they're right. kind of halfway, yeah. you know? And so it's a little bit strange. It's hard to kind of figure out, you know. But I'm not David Fincher. I'm not. I'm not Eric. Um, you know. So I don't know what the hell is going on in their minds, really. <laughs> I, you know. So I can't really say. It's just that if I were mm -hmm. to do it, I guess I'll just either go balls out or not do it at all in a way, right? Mm. Um, but yeah. going going halfway probably. I don't know. But that's just me. So the audio had this echo, as if it was, um, being projected in a in an old timey movie theater. I don't know if you <laughs> Ooh, noticed that. Really. Yeah, go listen. Go go back and okay. listen to it. Okay, all right. Um, the other good thing is the performances. I think Gary Oldman was great, even dude, though he's supposed dude. to be playing like a forty-year-old, yeah, right? yeah, like a 40, like 43 year old I remember when he said that line on like forty-two. I'm like, you ain't forty-two, bro. <laughs> <laughs> I know you're not forty-two. They didn't even try to so, de-age him. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, boy, yeah. I was gonna I mean? say. I mean, co comparing it to to Citizen Kane, which went all out 
with aging and de-aging their their, yeah, their yeah. actors. Yeah. They just didn't <laughs> they didn't just, even try Yeah, here. they're just like, hey, you know what? No one cares. Like, I don't, it's the performance that counts. They shouldn't even have mentioned that line. Right? Why? It's yeah. not even important. Like, why would you call yeah. attention to that? You know, it's fine. Just make them older, right? And it's like a fictional mm-hmm. thing, right? Maybe something, right? Yeah. Or it's a creative choice. I also but. like the production design in, in this movie. Um, I, th- I think they went above and beyond to recreate the 1930s Hollywood. They, they even had the Hollywood... Hollywood land sign. That looked like a matte painting. That looked like a hell of matte painting, man. What about the dialogue? I, th- I, 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 I have my issues with the script, but I think that the dialogue here was pretty great. Um, not only are Manx one-liners very, very on point, but the, the monologues are also on par. Mm-hmm. With the yeah. yeah. And the last thing I, I, I would say that I liked was the music, which was very reminiscent of Werner Herman. Um, yeah, but you know who you know who, from, who it was like Trent Reznor from back or something? then. Was it? Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was. was, it, was uh, Attic, it was Trent Reznor. Yeah, and, I remember and seeing, Ross. Yeah, so that was that was cool because yeah. you're you're used to seeing like you know buildings falling down, uh, you know, and you know crazy stuff happening and 360 degree moves and weird stuff that David Fincher does. Um, what has David Fincher done a movie? that was as tame as this, for lack of a better term. Because, I mean, this feels very tame in, from his, from his, from his um, standards, I guess. Yeah, I know what you mean. You know, it's like, I, I studied a lot of his early work because he worked on commercials with, like, he was at the time when commercials were a huge thing with Ridley Scott and Michael Bay and him. In fact, Michael Bay really, really ripped off his, like, ripped off a lot of his David Fincher stuff early on, actually. So the funny thing is, David Fincher, as far as from the visual design standpoint, was the first Michael Bay. And then mm. Michael Bay just kept kept going in that direction, and, and then Fincher just went, you know, he went full Dark Knight, you know what I mean? He just went full, like, you know, like, crazy, um, you know, like, dark, um, and, and, and even his thematic stuff. Is so, so um, it, was, it was an interesting thing. So aside from that, I have to say that I wasn't that hot in this movie, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, seriously. You know, my biggest issue, I think, is the script. Look, you, you and I are filmmakers, right? And, and by default, we at least have some passing knowledge on Citizen Kane and all the controversy of its making and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. To the layman... This movie will probably be just a jumble of nothingness. Um, there's no character development, no stakes, no explanation to what the hell is going on. Look, if you don't even if you don't know who Louis B. Mayer is, you're screwed, right? I mean, and the same goes for 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 Thalberg and and Orson Welles mm-hmm. and Marion Davies. Mm-hmm. And if you don't know any of these guys, this movie takes no yeah, time yeah. whatsoever to yeah. to explain who these characters are mm-hmm. they, they're just there and yeah. i'm not complaining about being thrown into a story to fend for myself right i'm okay with that i'm fine but but here i'm, I'm not only trying to fend for myself but i'm doing so without any weapons <laughs> uh, at least i i brought my own knowledge of yeah. of the events you know, to know basically where the story was taking place, where it was leading to, and 
and who the story was about and and basically why it all mattered, right? Mm-hmm. I've I've seen renditions of this story in other media in, in other media. Um the documentary that comes with the with the DVD of Citizen Kane, um what's the name of uh the the, the battle for Citizen Kane, I think it is. Mm-hmm. Um it's I think it's just a, such a fascinating story with so many colorful characters that uh, it feels like they dropped the ball on this one. Why, why is 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 it an issue with Mank wanting to write a character based on hers? What? Why? Mm-hmm. I don't know. Or, or a character similar to Marion Davis? Mm-hmm. Uh, at least from watching this movie. I don't know. <laughs> Why does it matter that Mank wants to receive credit for the movie? I don't know. Maybe at the end they kind of say why. I mean, he's, I mean, in a weird way, he straight up says it, which I don't know is the best way to do it. Like, because it's the best work I've ever done. And it's like, I get it in a way, but sure. In, in, in a weird way, he didn't really want that at first. You know, he's kind of like whatever about everything, right? And all of a sudden he wants it. And it's, it's, maybe it's like being true to what true to what happened at the time, but. I guess maybe maybe the truth isn't as dramatic as you know. It's not a very dramatic thing. I guess maybe I don't really know. Yeah, uh, in, in essence, it, it feels this, it feels this... very much like a love letter, you know, rather than a a kind of typical I guess Hollywood entertainment film. I see. I guess you know what I mean. It's like it just it feels like I don't know. It almost feels like a like they're they're doing this. They're doing make justice by making this movie. And, and keeping it more informational. I don't, I don't really know. Honestly, I, I, I don't really know. Like, from an entertaining standpoint, I wasn't as entertained with this movie, except for when you see, like, oh, I know that character, I know that character. That's very interesting because that happened in the past. And whenever mm-hmm. they mention Citizen Kane stuff, it's kind of when it gets a little bit fun, right? Yeah. Uh, I can't remember what moments they're talking about where what he, was, he was mentioning, like, parts of Citizen Kane, the stuff that he was writing. Right, the coolest part to me was when Orson Welles would walk in. He's like this, you know, huge ball swinging dude, right? And then he just comes in and yeah. he's like takes charge and leaves. Everybody's scared of him. He's like twenty four, right? The actor did such a damn good job, and they did a really good job of mystifying him at first as this legendary mm-hmm. character, which just kind of calls and everybody's looking around like, "Oh shit, it's Welles," kind of thing. I think that those the the most fun parts of the movie, you know. Um, I I actually thought that it was going to be about his relationship with Wells um, while writing the movie and what, what the input that Wells gets, controversies, things that they would fight about, whatever it is. Um, and then like, and then like maybe while making the movie, maybe Mank like being a part of it, but maybe that's not really what happened. So, you know, mm-hmm. I think maybe, I think part of the movie was giving credit, giving as much credit as, Mank deserved in terms of just straight up writing the whole damn thing and then and then apparently Orson slapping his name on it that's that's one myth right and the other one mm-hmm. is like Orson actually had a lot of to do with the movie and writing it and stuff and they worked together on it um but it just feel it feels like this movie w- was kind of biased in that way in the other way in yeah, terms of the way one-sided. that they portrayed him by just literally yeah. separating him from Hollywood like literally and it was a remote place and just writing this manuscript in 30 days right so right. um, yeah, the script itself. Um, yeah, it's basically a, it's it's basically a story of a man who's out of time. 
I mean, he he feels he's at the end of his days. He's he's out he's of time. He's only forty two, bro. What do you mean at the end of days? I I know, but you know, <laughs> I'm he's joking. I'm he, joking. He, he he also he also he's also out of time because he doesn't have enough time to 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 write the script. I mean, what is it, sixty days that he has? Yeah, something like that. Yeah. Um, and and. He's mostly out of time because the, the 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 style he uses to write the script and the subject matter that he's writing about um, was unacceptable maybe at that time. So he's mm. he's kind of a man out of that time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, that that style of writing wasn't accepted until maybe later on after he was dead. So. Yeah, yeah. I guess you know what? I, st- I guess I guess culturally, like I guess like how it's relevant to kind of. I think one of the reasons why it's it's doing well or or getting getting praise is because of its kind of a metaphor for kind of um I guess at least in Hollywood like taking down these powerful people or commenting on these powerful people and mm. kind of standing up for yourself as a small person um or not a yeah. small person but a person who believes in something and tries to say something about it and a lot of people telling them no you're going to get canceled literally going to get canceled if you say it in one way or another and and in some ways good or bad um it, it's commenting on the freedom to say something like that you know what i mean um and so i think that it's 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 coded i guess in relevant today and if you see it in that context i guess it it makes it um it makes it an interesting comment about what's happening in our time i guess right and i think that's part of it i also don't get why this movie why is this story told without using all the interesting aspects of the backstory of Citizen Kane? I don't. I just don't get that. I agree. It's... Actually, I I agree. I now, now that you say it, it doesn't make a lot of sense because a lot of that stuff is legendary in the way, like it's interesting in its own right. Um, and a lot right. of it's not in the movie, or or maybe it's suggested every once in a while, but it's not actually part it's, of it. It's 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 definitely suggested. But here's <clears> the thing: if you don't know. I mean, I know, and you know, because you know some of it, right? But for any other person who doesn't, who hasn't read up on, who doesn't even know who William Randall first is mm-hmm. or was, mm-hmm. they're not gonna know. It just feels so, so much inside baseball stuff. Yeah, yeah. That, yeah, I know. Uh, <laughs> uh, you know, I'm sorry, dude. End, I think I think it affects you a lot because maybe you had like. <laughs> no, no, no! I, I, I absolutely knew. <laughs> was this how you were feeling inside? <laughs> you were so disappointed. No, no! I just, I was just hoping. <laughs> I was just hoping. Who was on the march? That <laughs> it was none of that. Okay, there was none of that. Let's just say that, right? It didn't have that energy. It was like, oh, I'm gonna try to drink a little bit and. I'm going to sneak this and then I'm going to write that. And then like, this guy's going to be witty and that guy's going to be witty. And, you know, but there was, you know, anyway, I'm just, yeah. messing, I'm just messing with you, man. Um, but, but I do feel, you know, like you were disappointed because your hopes were kind of high. I think, do you feel that or no? I, I don't, I don't psycho- think my hopes I'm were high. Analyzing you right now. No, 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 no. And that, that's fine. I, my, 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 I didn't have my hopes up, uh, at all. I, because I knew that they weren't going to imitate Citizen Kane, which is which is great. I mm-hmm. mean, they shouldn't, mm-hmm. right? And they were also not gonna 
tell all the the backstory because there are other movies that have done that, right? I just don't get what makes this movie interesting. Mm-hmm. I don't uh, t- taking into consideration all the interesting stuff that is happening around it, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and not to include that in the script. I, I, I don't get it. I don't get it. It's it's fine that you want that you want this to be a character piece. It's it's great. I I applaud that, and the performance was awesome. But then, give me something else to latch on to this story. Got it. Don't just assume that I know what the story <clears throat> is, and then tell me the story of this guy. In in the end, I come on the side of. Well, the movie's fine, right? I feel the same. But way. maybe maybe for me, and this is very personal. I don't think it's worth or worthy of all, all all this praise that it's getting i feel like it could have been more if it leaned a little bit more on the story surrounding it than the story that it thinks it's telling you know um fincher's dad wrote it right or he wrote most of it or apparently right i would yeah, he wrote like the original yeah. yeah i would like to know his thoughts on it but he's not around anymore i think right so right because you know technically he wrote it so fincher directed it but it's like it's, it almost feels like he was trying to do it for the memory of dad, maybe? I don't know. Maybe he even had some of that. I don't really know. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. All right, Jimmy, anything, any any other thoughts that you have on Mank? No, man. Before we I wrap think we, this uh, up. We talked about Mank. Uh, and uh, I'm going to actually watch it again <laughs> just for that. Um, don't. Day for night. See, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a technical guy. I like, I like technical stuff in, in movies. Um. All right. So I, I you know, okay, I like cool. to see that. Um, but uh, all right. You so know. you, you, you go watch that and then report back on the sound as well. <laughs> yeah, the mono. Yeah, the mono echoey thing. Yeah, <laughs> I'm telling you, it's there. Um, all right. So I, I think this is a good place to end things. Okay. Um, people in the audience, stay tuned for a bonus episode coming soon because Jimmy and I are definitely not done talking. Also, be on the lookout for Jimmy's book, which doesn't have a name, and the movies They Live in the Gray and Succubus, which are coming out later. Well, They Live in the Gray is coming out later this year. Succubus is starting production, hopefully in the summer. Mm -hmm. And Jimmy, I know you've recently returned to social media. Sort of, (laughs) yeah. Right? Uh, And you have your own reservations about it, which is cool. Uh So what's the best way that people can contact you these days? Uh, probably Facebook or Twitter um, at Jimmy John Lu. And I think um, Jimmy John Lu, my full name. Um, and uh, I think uh, Instagram, because I just returned, so I'm trying to remember exactly what my handle is. I can, and my Instagram is at Jimmy John Lu DP. I actually do have at Jimmy John Lu. Maybe I'll switch it over. I don't know why I did that, but... Um, <laughs> I don't have any not any friends to friend me. You're confusing I, us, I wanna, man. I want to talk to you. <laughs> but yeah, I you know, at Jimmy Jong Lu DP. All right, cool. All right. Well, uh you can find us on Twitter at Media Review Pod. That's media R E V U E pod. With the hashtag Media Review Pod, you can send us emails with questions, comments, and suggestions to mediareviewpod at gmail.com, or you can leave a voicemail. By calling 407-603-5847. Please don't forget to subscribe to our feed and rate and review the pod. 
Jimmy, this was awesome. I'm glad that we're going to be talking again. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me, man. And to all our listeners out there, remember, you can be a washed-up screenwriter, but if you try hard enough, you might end up having the last word. Stay safe, be kind to one another, and of course, don't forget to breathe. Till next time, have a good one. Bye-bye.